wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, HelloFresh and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who also preserved his perfect season with a last-second shot, but his was the first shot of the COVID vaccine. Hello, Christian Spicer. I mean, I, I I saw what you're doing there, the UCLA Gonzaga game, but we've talked. I was in the trial, baby. I've had my, I guess it makes sense. From way downtown. <laughs> it's a thinker. Um, it was a thinker. It, it, that's what people come to this show for is thinkers. Hello, everybody. Thank you to everybody that backed the Kickstarter. As you're listening, you probably have a survey from me saying something like, hey, shipping, stuff like that. But thank you. It means the world to me. Um, and this is going to be a fun show, man. I'm excited for today. I'm excited. What it makes me think that usually you're not excited. Why's, why is it different today? It's gonna. Be, it's always a fun show. Well, there has been a lot of news this year already, but there. Let's not be on. Let's not kid ourselves. Sometimes there are shows that are like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you're up for this one, and you know we have one of our favorite guests to do all the fun of this show with. Uh, you know, DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, once again, we are excited because DLC stands for Destiny's longtime champion. But we, Because we have our number one Destiny fan, as well as the editor-in-chief of GameRant.com, our friend Anthony Taormina is back with us. Hello, Anthony. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm uh, well. How are you? Also, hi, Christian. Hello, Christian. But yeah, um, I'm I'm here to uh, be the guy that likes Destiny and talks about the game that seems to be copying Destiny a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to talk about that because yeah, I think it's a big game. It's outpacing it's a, a lot game. of a lot of games. Uh, we're going to talk about Outriders for sure this week, but we got lots of other stuff to talk about. We're also recording uh, on Easter Sunday. Do, do either of you guys celebrate Easter? You haven't do do anything fun tonight? No, uh, I ate a bunch of ham. Um, yeah, ham. I did. I, good. Yeah, you know, I did. I did the Easter egg hunt and mm-hmm. the the hide the basket. Nice, good, good times. Well, it's nice of you to to spend your Easter evening with us. Um, let's jump in and start the show the way we always do. The story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Also, any comments or questions you have, we love getting your emails there. Even game reviews. If you'd like to submit a game review to be read on the show, we'd love to hear it, read it at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Also, we have a subreddit over at 5x5dlc.reddit.com and a great Discord full of awesome folks, 5x5dlc on Discord as well. But Anthony, you are our guest. So you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? 
I I think the CD Projekt Red Cyberpunk news is um, what I would consider uh, the biggest story of the week, if only because it's you know the reaction to the the feedback for Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven and and what CD Projekt Red plans to do as a studio moving forward. Yeah, there's a, a lot of juicy tidbits here. Uh, there was um, an update to its group strategy for the next few years, CD Projekt Red. And in it, uh, a number of things were revealed. We had talked on this show months ago, uh, but actually I think before Cyberpunk 2077 was actually released, we talked about how they had planned, CD Projekt Red, to release a standalone product that was going to be the multiplayer version of Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, we talked about how it, it seemed like they were going to follow the model of something like a GTA V. Um, having this open world and heists and things like that. And it was going to be a standalone product that was supposed to come along in like 2022 or something like that. Like really uh, uh, much staggered from the game's initial release. Now we hear that that is being reconsidered. Um, that entire project's being reconsidered. They still are supposedly doing some sort of multiplayer for Cyberpunk, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be this big standalone game. Also, they are restructuring how they work at CD Projekt Red. Uh, they said that they're um, going to try to focus on multiple projects at once instead of one big game. And I think most notably, at least for me, is they have acknowledged that perhaps a long PR ramp up, like we've seen with previous games, Cyberpunk, Witcher, um, where they're talking about those games years in advance and trickling out information, having big E3 presences multiple years before the games are released, that they are going to change that and start having a much compressed PR um, roadmap so that the game will, will be released much closer to when it's announced. So, Anthony, what of those do you think is the most interesting and impactful um, for CD Projekt Red? I mean, I think I think it's the splitting into or not splitting, but having two projects sort of working in in parallel or having two games in development. What, what we assume to be uh, in an A studio and a B studio, but most likely working on like maybe the next Witcher and then either another cyberpunk or something completely different. But it seems kind of like hey, CD Projekt Red is saying we can't go this long period of time in between game releases. Cyberpunk maybe wasn't uh, what we are hoping for as far as uh, financially su successful, even though I think it was successful, that having Cyberpunk be out and then waiting however long for the next game maybe isn't viable for CD Projekt based on how the cyberpunk response went. Yeah. Um, I think it's exciting because it means that, you know, we have a developer that people like making games a little faster, but it also seems like a developer that was known for doing its own thing for being sort of the, the bad boy of the game development industry uh, is now following like the trends of other studios, which is have multiple uh, in studio or like multiple mini studios working on different games so that you can, release games at a faster cadence yeah yeah i mean clearly putting all their chips on one multi-year project 
has been a tricky, has had tricky results for them, right? Yeah. I think, as you mentioned, it's clear financially that's, that Cyberpunk did very well. It sold, what, like 8 million copies even before it launched, it yeah. pre-orders. But that rocky launch, I think, certainly seems to have impressed upon them that when you put all your all your money on one big release, you are subject to the uh, <laughs> ups and downs of how that release goes. So, you know, spread, hedging your bets, spreading your, your projects uh, among several different concurrent things, I think probably makes a lot more business sense. And I, I agree with you. It makes, it's better for us if we're if fans of that studio to know that there are multiple games being worked on at once. And so it's not like you got to wait six or seven years between projects. So that's good. Um, are you are you a fan of the compressed marketing window uh, strategy? I know Bethesda's is our poster child for for that. Yeah. I, I mean, I I did kind of like that cyberpunk evolved as we saw it. I think that was kind of a um, an exciting element to E three or an exciting element to any any preview event or whatever they were showing it was kind of like, Oh man, let's, let's see what else they've added on top of it. In retrospect, you know, now there's all this, well, how much was of it was accurate? How much of it was true? What was really the game? But I do, I do think that that is one of the fun things about being in the industry in the way that we are and going to events and, and seeing things and playing things is that you get to see how they evolve. You get to see how they take into account feedback that they hear. And the Bethesda element, it really is. They show you the game and whether you like it or not, you know, Fallout 76, they're like, here's Fallout 77, Fallout 76. And a lot of people said, that's not what I want. And Bethesda was just kind of stuck going, well, we'll fix it later <laughs> after it's out. So yeah. I do kind of miss the idea of, you know, feedback informing development, but I under, I totally understand where they're coming from because if there is one thing to point to as what really hurt cyberpunk, it was, this long lead time and developers saying, Oh yeah, we're working on this and it being put on the internet where nothing goes away. And then eventually when the game comes out and it doesn't have that people have articles and quotes to look back on and say, you told us specifically it was going to look like this and it didn't look like that. Yeah. 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 I think that's a good point. Uh, Christian, the uh, president and co-CEO of CG Project Red said, quote, CG Project Red makes single-player, story-driven, AAA RPGs. That is not changing. Do you think that is changing? I mean, what there's later in it, it's, what is changing is our long-term approach to online. Uh, we we're going to be properly prepared to implement online elements elements in our games where they make sense. Uh, we don't want to lose our single player DNA. We want to make thoughtful steps to build a robust online capabilities. I mean, I think to me, that part of the quote is telling because it's like, you know, don't worry, we're going to keep making the games you know and love. But also, do you see how much GTA 5 makes? <laughs> Have yeah. you seen what Red Dead made when they released online separately as a paid, was it paid? Whatever, free, whatever it ended up being. I think it was free for a little while. Maybe it's paid regardless how much that makes like uh how much uh fifa makes um you know once you have these online persistent i know fifa is a little bit of a different example but it's kind of the poster child for sports games um to some extent nba 2k as well but these persistent online worlds that people can live in and keep investing in with content drops coming i think it's hard for devs to ignore it much the same and i don't think they'll all be successful at it don't get me wrong 
I don't think it's, you know, we've seen this before, whether it's a MOBA, a hero shooter, a mobile game, you know, it's like, oh, there's the money in, uh, in uh, what's golly, Genshin Impact made $2 billion this year or whatever it was. We've got to make that. You can't. <laughs> it's yeah. not that easy. Um, so I, I do think they'll remain kind of committed to what their core DNA is, but they also made Gwent. Um, and so they've dabbled in this, but I do think it makes sense to prepare for those other types of games or revenue streams um, in a way in your initial concept and pitch for a game instead of it's going to be the separate thing later. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It does, it does really it seem to me that that this new you know group strategy, as they're calling it, is looking at what happened to them over the last several years, which is they went all in on this big game release that was going to be a massive footprint and was it was. But what happened was it landed like a lead balloon. And while it did great, they're looking at, well, okay, so if we don't have a Witcher 3-esque product where people are going to keep buying it five, ten years after it's released, or, you know, because it's this genre-defining game, what do we have? We don't have a multiplayer community that's going to keep this game viable. We don't have multiple games in the pipeline what have we got? We've got this one thing that made us a lot of money in this moment, but doesn't seem to have legs going forward. It's still not in the PlayStation store, right? And maybe, you know, maybe Cyberpunk 2077 rises from the ashes and becomes a game like Witcher 3 that keeps selling years and years and years after it's released. But it certainly seems to me like some bean counters at CD Projekt Red looked at that and went, this isn't good. This isn't sustainable. If we don't have a hit, then we're stuck. We have multiple years here where all we've got in the marketplace is this big lead balloon. And we need to have, we need to diversify our portfolio. We need to have more, multiple things going at one time. So we have quicker cadence of releases and games that have longer legs as far as new content, people playing them, new updates. It, I mean, it's, in, in a lot of ways, it's a microcosm of the story of the entire industry, right? Kind of what you were yeah. saying, Anthony. Yeah, yeah. It, um, I think I think one of the one of the sayings that applies here is uh, from the Dark Knight when uh, when Harvey Dent says, "You know, you either uh, die a hero or live long enough to become the villain." <laughs> Not to say like that it's that extreme, but you yeah. know, CD Projekt Run, you live long enough to as a studio that operates as like a rock star. Or and you just kind of go down in flames, or you eventually become like the studios that people dislike. Yeah. Well, I will say, as part of this new strategy, there was a lot of uh, verbiage. Uh, you know, who knows how it's going to play out in reality? But there at least was a lot of lip, lip service given to redoubling their efforts to create um, a workforce that is treated with respect and you know people's time and and given you know. It, really an, an internal restructuring as much as an external restructuring as far as product releases. Uh, and I, I appreciate at least that they're speaking to that. If, you know, they've spoken to it before and it turned out to be, you know, uh, mixed results, but 
at least they're speaking to that. So hopefully they're not the villain. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. I don't. I don't mean like that. But you know, Bethesda was beloved, and then yeah. eventually people turned on Bethesda and Rockstar with with yeah. you know the Grand Theft Auto Online and Red Dead Online has turned on. So I think you know it really is kind of a odd situation that CD Projekt Red is in, where people are no longer saying I trust them whatever they're doing. Now they're yeah. saying I'm skeptical of anything they say. Totally. Yeah. Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? It's it's the biggest one. It's the biggest one. <laughs> MLB The Show 21 launching day and date on Game Pass. It's not oh, only... wait, that's a Sony first party game. It's a Sony first party game that this is the first time it's on Xbox at all, which was announced before. And then, was it... I don't think it was April Fool's Day, but right around there, maybe April 2nd, they announced that it's going to launch day and date on Game Pass, Sony first-party game, launching on Microsoft's subscription service. You're getting the base version of the game, not like the Jackie Robinson edition, but it's a you know on Xbox One, Xbox Series. Um, it's on both, and I think Android uh, for their cloud as well. Or if you're on PlayStation, you can buy the game for $60, or $70 on PlayStation 5 with no free upgrade. If you want to upgrade, you have to buy the, for that upgrade path, you have to buy the Jackie Robinson edition, which comes with other things as well. But I believe that's $85. I mean, this, this is <laughs> Mario joining Sonic at the Olympics, you know, like this is, this is big. I think there's some, you know, idea to some weight to the idea that like, Hey, you want to see if this type of subscription service is worth it. What better way to do it than like, you know, Trojan horse your way <laughs> onto the other company's subscription service and learn all the data. And MLB is certainly a game that monetizes well, after that initial release. Well, I would say who's Trojan hor- horsing whom? Yeah. It, it, right. That's the thing. It, <laughs> I mean, I would love to know again, like the Harvard Business School case study of this 10 years from now, whenever it is. Um, it's just fascinating to me. And some people are like, well, it's obvious. They, looked at how much money they'd get from games sold and how much Microsoft was willing to pay to get it on the service day and date. And X was bigger than Y. So they did it. Wait, I'm but sure I'm, X would be bigger than Y with any Sony first party game, right? I'm sure. Why Then why not do it with, with last of us part two or whatever, you know? I, yeah. I think it is these games that have these other continuing monetizations, you know, like uh, yeah. the way MLB does and so many of these sports right. games do. But I mean, this to me was, was a megaton. Sony fans have supported MLB the show for decades. And it was the only, I mean, there's RBI baseball and other things, but let's be honest, the only baseball game in town and an excellent one. And, and the optics of it to me, and I'm curious, Anthony, to get your take, but the biggest thing aside from like great for game pass subscribers, the optics of it to me is a, it's a big middle finger from Sony (laughs) to their longtime uh, baseball fans it kind of blows my mind yeah no you're right i think i think we need to i don't know if they'll ever reveal uh the full scope of it or how this happened maybe it'll be a case study later down the line because there is discussions about well mlb is maybe listed as the publisher of the xbox uh game pass version and that you know maybe something was more handled behind the scenes and and sony was just around or whatever but just from a pure 
here is a Sony franchise that is developed by a Sony studio. It's developed in San Diego where I live, where you used to live. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, so it's, it's got all of that Sony DNA all over it, whether it's the studio working on it, whether it's the fans that love it. And it, it could lead to a lot of exciting things for us as gamers, but I know that there are still people that, are very platform agnostic and they believe only in in the PlayStation or the Microsoft well, or the, whatever. Or you you buy your platform because of this game. Like I don't think yeah. this is uh, sure. Last of Us Part Three or you know that level of system seller per se. But I I, mean, I know it did sell really really well yes. last year. And I so. know friends who did buy the PS5 because of the like that's their platform of choice because of the show. It is their it is their FIFA. Um, again, I keep using that as an example, but. I, I almost, Jeff, I almost pre-ordered the Jackie Robinson edition several times. Uh, I had some PlayStation credit sitting around. I like the idea. I love Jackie Robinson. I'm a Dodgers fan. Um, the little trinkets and most of the things that went with it like didn't really interest me, but I was like, this seems, uh, this is cool. I love this game. And I'm not now. I'm no glad I did now. it. <laughs> yeah. No, I think this is a, I think this is a paradigm shift. I, I, I think you are absolutely right to call it a big deal because I think this is a harbinger of how this entire industry is going to be. Not too long from now, I predict the three of us here and others who are old enough to remember the console wars will have a hard time talking people into the idea that there were these siloed places that didn't overlap. I just don't think that's how the industry is going to work anymore. I think it's going to be like my Amazon device my fire device or whatever has netflix on it because of course it does why wouldn't it but the difference there prime and prime and netflix are competitors but we nobody thinks about it that way nobody thinks well your kindle shouldn't play you know but that's it's the difference is that streaming versus here there needs to be a little more r&d into the device itself there was an article it might be on the verge uh dang it Uh, i might try to look for it but it's like how stri- how subscription services Apple and Microsoft are doing it the way that's viable right now, and it's with downloading. You know, so right. you still have to have the intense processing power on the device itself. Um, so I think that's the difference. Because like, yeah, anything can run Netflix. It have an internet connection. It doesn't matter. But here it's like this is a this is a port. And I do agree with you that you know uh, one console future. Like I think we are going to see more and more and more and more of this. But you know they couldn't have this game on the switch. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it would need to be a, a whole new port, a whole new style of game yeah. to run on that device. Those and days are numbered too. You think? Yeah. I mean, I think you think, well, with, I, I, I think the, the streaming future will happen and it's all a matter of, it's all going to be content, man. And the device that you play it on is going to have very little to do with the content. I think, I think we are, going to see that decoupling happening more and more over the next couple generations of of consoles it's happening maybe a little even slower than we predicted or i predicted but it's going to happen and i think at a certain point it's just not going to make any sense for a company to keep their their products off of other ways for people to pay for their products like you know i i don't think that these companies are making money on the hardware they're making money on the software so like let the software live wherever it's going to live i mean you say that jeff but we're also talking about you know xbox is going to get mlb but 
also Xbox made it kind of not a secret that they just bought Bethesda to keep all the games on their own platform. Well, on, the, on their own service, right? They're, they sure, want to sell the games to you. They, I don't think they care where you play uh, Xbox Game Pass. Like if they could get Xbox Game Pass sure. on PlayStation, it's not about keeping the games off of PlayStation. It's about keeping the games on Game Pass. So they get your 10 bucks or 15 bucks sure. a month or whatever it is. I do think that the way they talked about it, it did kind of seem like they were saying, we kind of do want to keep them off PlayStation, but... I don't know. I, I, w- I would suspect that if you if Sony walked into Microsoft's office and said, do you want to put Game Pass on the PlayStation 5? Microsoft oh, would be yeah, like, yeah. yes, we do. Sure. So, you know, I, I think that's just the way it's, it's going to end up at some point. It's all going to be that. It's just going to be very mimicked to how the movie industry works, you know? And I... I yeah, I do think until we get to comparable streaming to on-device play, it is interesting because I think you're going to have the, the disparity of, of what devices can run it or, or what's minimum viable tech, you know, like PC min specs for games and how you develop things. Uh, I, I'm still, you know, a fan of cloud gaming, but I'm curious to see how it, it does continue to evolve. And I think Microsoft is taking a really smart approach to it right now where it's like bonus, you know, it's like, garnish on the side of game pass it's like and also if you have ultimate you can do this android thing coming soon to ios yeah but it's not like the main entree but this this is this is really big and people in chat and as you mentioned jeff you know they're saying oh mlb is publishing this so you know perhaps this is all buried in the contract that as sony renewed their license with mlb that they were going to go multi-platform and that they had to allow this other type of thing but it is still it is still a big shot at the evolution of the industry. And I think, as you mentioned, there will be a time uh, when we will look back at this, and I think it was more clarity than now, and say, the 2020, 2020s, like the industry was shifting in gargantuan ways. The, the Sony fanboys will send back John Connor to stop <laughs> Microsoft from signing MLB to yeah. Game Pass. But it can't uh, be the Sony fanboys. It, it happened in Fortnite because it's owned by Disney. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, I'd but like to take issue. We will never have more clarity than right now. That's okay. That's, we that makes sense. All yeah. the clarity right now. Um, I want to ask each of you though, starting with you, Anthony, who do you think comes out of this better? Does Microsoft come out ahead of Sony or does Sony come out ahead of Microsoft? I mean, I think Microsoft comes out ahead. I think in a lot of ways, Sony fans are, are kind of feeling burned regularly by Sony. Just, one, I don't think that they understand that also it's really hard to get an Xbox, but I think they feel burned on the level of the PlayStation 5 element, but PlayStation games going to PC. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that comment on those stories that are like, no, why? I know that we are think it's great, and there are plenty of people that think it's great, but there are still people that believe in the one console, and that console is what they're going to stake their life on, and anything where it kind of seems like they're giving the other side, quote unquote, some love is, is seen as a, a you know a betrayal. Mm. Um, and I think that there are people that are going to view this as that and think like, wow, Xbox is actually maybe doing it better. Um, I don't think they are. I think they're both doing a great job and they're doing really kind of uh, interesting things that are going to shake up the industry in good ways. But I do think that Xbox comes out ahead for sure. You agree with that, Christian? I do, especially right now. Like maybe there's the other foot drops and it's like in June, Sony revamp. 
PlayStation Plow comes out and it's incredible yeah. and mm-hmm. Game Pass becomes $30 a month and people are angry because that's, you know, where they've been getting their games and it gets way more expensive. But right now, Game Pass has been firing on all cylinders. Um, Outriders, day and date. MLB The Show, day and date. But 20 Bethesda games, future Bethesda games. All of this stuff that went from in, in a, just a few short years of Microsoft having no in-house studios and no real exclusives to now they're having exclusives and they have the best value proposition in gaming currently. It's, I think it's hard to see Sony coming out ahead again to what Anthony said, the optics. It's like, do you want to play this on the latest and greatest hardware? Great. $10 a month or $70. (laughs) Yeah. That's hard. It's a hard, hard thing to argue. You know, it's a, it's pretty hard to argue with, that value proposition for sure. Uh, you guys have left me just uh, too many stories to choose from. There, there's some incredible stories. I don't know what should be my story of the week, but I, I will. I guess I'll go with this just because it, it leads directly in from what we were talking about. Because Sony has done something else that is, I think, adding some consternation to gamers, and that is they announced that they will be closing the PlayStation Three. PlayStation Portable and PlayStation Vita digital stores this summer. So after July 2nd, it will no longer be possible to buy games digitally on PS3 or PSP in the online marketplaces. And then on August 27th, the same thing will apply to Vita as well. This means that there will literally be thousands of games that it will be impossible to get digital only games that were released on those platforms. Uh, some folks have estimated around 2,200 digital only games that will disappear after the stores close. That will be, you will be unable to get. Now, if you already own them, you can still download them evidently, but you can't buy them anew. This is uh, broken down in the following ways. About 630 digital only Vita games around 730 digital-only PlayStation 3 or PSN games, a small number of digital-only PSP games, 293 PlayStation Minis, 336 PlayStation 2 Classics, and around 260 PlayStation 1 Classics, particularly for the PSP and Vita. Anthony, there's been a lot of talk about this online, and this is really the thing everybody is afraid of. Right. This is the yes. the digital future. This is the fear. This is why people were scared about Stadia and streaming only platforms. Because once somebody decides to flip that switch off, you can't get stuff anymore. Yeah. No. It's. I mean, it it is. I think maybe not the the first example or the first uh, time people will have experienced this, but I think this is one of the biggest as far as people of the generate our generation and generations that are younger than us that will say, okay, this is kind of scary of of what could potentially happen to these games that I have in my library or, or whatnot. I know that Sony has said, you'll still be able to redownload, but there is still so many loopholes that exist or, or even if you buy a hard copy, some games will need a handshake with a digital store and they won't be able to do anything. A lot of um, these don't even have hard copies. 
Yeah. So, you know, there's that element. There's um, there were still studios making games for Vita. I think like five or six studios announced this week when Sony made it official. They said, look, sorry, we were making a Vita version uh, and and we we're not going to anymore because we, it's not going to be around by the time we release the game. So I know that there are going to be plenty of people that will just say who still plays on a Vita, who still plays on a PSP. But anytime anybody makes a comment about like old games or, or playing something like that. A lot of people say I still do. And and I think a lot of people just want that preservation aspect and having yeah. the ability to, if they want to access these things. And I don't think that this is like a significant, you know, uh heel turn for Sony or anything like that, but it's, it's not great for them. Well, yeah, it's the kind of thing where in, in the pre-digital universe, if somebody stopped selling someone something, those things still existed in the world and you could find them and rarity became, you know, you can want to buy a cartridge that for an old system that doesn't exist anymore. There are marketplaces that you can find that cartridge. You can buy that cartridge and plug it into that old system and make it work in the digital only world. That just doesn't happen. And Christian, you know, we've been talking about this Sony versus Microsoft juxtaposition here again is another case where in this story games like beyond good and evil hd laura croft and the guardian of light and both bionic commando games now ostensibly become xbox console exclusives because you can't get them on playstation anymore yeah it's you know I think part of it is people being worried about being able to re-download things, which is a different issue. And Sony's trying to reassure people that, no, you can, you will, you can, you will. But I think that is a a valid concern. That's like the, you know, elephant in the room that everybody's kind of really afraid of. But also, and while, yeah, I don't know, you know, how often are people going and buying things on the PS3 store or the Vita store, the uh, PSP store? Clearly not enough for Sony to think it's worthwhile to keep them open. So probably not very much. The cost to keep them open. But I think we talked about this, maybe it was two months ago, but fairly recently, uh, five five years ago. Um, I do think that we talked about today how we're at this inflection point in gaming and we'll look back at this moment in MLB coming to Xbox and Game Pass and all this stuff as a a makeshift moment, a key, a marquee moment. I also think that in the history of games, the idea of game ownership in that way that all three of us, people our age, kind of hold on to will be a, a blip. And I think I that agree. might be I think yeah. that might be true in all media ownership. Yeah. Um you know, let's say you want to watch Daredevil season one. Is that gonna be on Netflix forever? I probably it probably not. And then they did a short physical run of it but like you know there are things that only exist on streaming services that don't get a dvd or blu-ray release and it's not always going to be there and but we all grew up on well what we what i grew up on maybe i'm a little older than you guys but what i grew up on was did were you there at eight o'clock on thursday night right no right well then you'll never ever be able to see that unless you happen to catch a rerun at some point Right. So that, that's why I think we've all really latched onto this ownership because, and I also started there. I remember buying, was it Batman or Batman Returns? Like the first widely available home VHS, you know, yeah. before that too, like VHS were $200, $300, yeah. which is why they had a rental market. And it's like, oh, we can make these a commercial commodity that everybody can afford and buy. And so we had this 
period of like ownership, collecting everything you want, a box set of X files. And, and that I think is going to go away. And I think games that is going to go away as well, but it is a hard bandaid to rip off for a lot of us. And it's also hard, you know, we were not knowing that going in, right. It's, yeah. it's, it's a scary proposition. So I, I get it. And again, not great optics for Sony, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's rough. And I think this is, not exactly the same thing as I own something and you switched it off and now I don't get to play it. It's, but it's, it's adjacent. It's adjacent to that. Uh, and I think that's what everybody is scared of is I paid money to be able to play a thing until you say, I can't play that thing anymore. Uh, and then my, the, my money invested is I never owned it. I never owned it. I just was paying you for the opportunity to play it for a, a time. And or yeah. or just like us as you know parents being able to say like hey this game there was a thing called a Vita and these were my favorite games yeah. on the Vita you know uh, I still have a Vita being able to give it to my son and say like I'm gonna go download some games that I think would be fun yeah. and it if you break it it's not the end of the world it's you know uh, or just being able to show off games that you enjoyed from those generations right. it'll be a lot harder to do that I know that. Obviously, there is a way to do these things. And I think that's been the response in, in comments is, you know, uh, to to do the not legal thing. Um, and Sony sort of forcing the hand a little bit there. But yeah, at the end of the day, tend to feel justified when they're when they're forced into that, when there's no other way around it. Yeah. So, yeah. And, that's not the that's not the response that should exist and maybe Sony does have a you know a plan for this so who knows but currently at this moment in time them saying we're turning these off and people losing access to games that they might want to play or do whatever with down the line is scary for what it means for the future of game preservation the future of just being able to say, hey, I, I want to show you the first game in this series. I want to show you Uncharted Golden Abyss. Right. You know, uh, I want you to be able to play Naughty all Dog. Uncharted Naughty Dog doesn't want you to be able to see that one either, <laughs> so I think they're okay with that. <laughs> but, but just like, you know, b- being able to say something like, oh, yeah, you, you know, there was a game on a on the Vita called Uncharted Golden Abyss. Oh, we should check it out. And you just have no way to do that. Well, if you want to do that, maybe a good thing for you to do would be to create a website. And the best way to do that is with our sponsor, Squarespace. Uh, that's what I call a segue. I don't do them often here, but I did it that time. Hey, Squarespace, the best way to make a website of any kind, whether it's showing off screenshots of old games or blogging or even selling things online. Maybe you've got old cartridges you want to unload. Well, e-commerce super simple with squarespace you can build a website yourself you don't have to pay somebody to do it you don't have to uh, learn html you can just log on to squarespace try out their tools build a website start with the templates that they have professionally designed and then start messing around with a drag and drop move things around it's all what you see is what you get very very simple there's no coding needed it's so easy it's actually fun to make a website with squarespace I've done it. JeffCanada.com was was built on Squarespace, housed on Squarespace for many, many years now. And I always recommend it to all my friends and family, whoever needs a website. It's just the simplest, easiest way. You can do it yourself. And you can do it 
with all kinds of top-notch functionality. You've got analytics to help build your site in real time. You've got built-in search engine optimization. Everything is built for mobile right out of the box. You never have to patch anything or upgrade anything. It's all handled in the background for you. Plus, 24-7 award-winning customer support at Squarespace in case you run into any problems. So simple, so easy. You can do it yourself. Make it yourself. Create your own website. And let us help. When you go to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me, you'll get yourself a free trial. Free meaning you don't even have to put in a credit card. No one's going to auto bill you. You can use the tools as long as you want. And when you're ready to launch your site, use our promo code Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, all one word. Save yourself 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. I just used Squarespace recently to buy some domains, over 200 extensions, so slick how you can put in a phrase and it shows you all the domains, all the pricing, alternate suggestions. It's so easy, so cool way to buy extensions as well. Squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me, promo code Jeff sent me for 10% off. Um, Before we leave the news segment, there are just some other juicy stories I wanted to get your opinions on. One of them is a rumor that Remedy will be making Alan Wake 2 as their next game. Christian, I mean, this is all from uh, Venture Beats, Jeff Grubb, who broke the story. Um, He's saying that he's got a, a source that says that Remedy has been looking for a publisher to help fund Alan Wake 2. And then they just signed that deal we talked about on the show uh, with Epic. And that Alan Wake 2 has actually been in development for a while and um, will be coming out as their next game. They're, of course, also working on... The studio has expanded and they're working on multiple things, including the single-player campaign for Crossfire X and um, some multiplayer game that hasn't been revealed yet. But it sounds like Alan Wake 2 is the next big AAA experience I'm a huge fan of the first Alan Wake, but I even I, as a huge fan of that game, didn't think that it lived up to its potential as the big open world mystery that you know they kind of teased when it was first announced. Christian, I know you're a huge Remedy fan. The control control is in the Alan Wake universe. Alan Wake and Control are sort of the shared Remedy universe that they're expanding. Are you excited about this? And what would you like to see from an Alan Wake two? I am very excited about it. Uh, you know, assuming it it is is true. Um, Jeff is usually fairly accurate with a lot of this stuff. Sometimes Thank you. his, his oh. not you. Um, uh, but every game is delayed, so you're accurate with that. Yeah, except, knocking it out of the park. Well, that's how that disproves your point because MLB the Show is knocking it out of the park, not being delayed. Uh, yeah, it hasn't come out yet. It's true, not yet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Alan Wake is a game that did so much right especially when it came out and it i forgive most of its stumbles i think it started to rely too much on combat and that combat wasn't quite inventive enough to carry i don't know what was like the back third of the game maybe i love that combat though with the flashlight first and then the shotgun it was so great satisfying so it satisfying just, it just didn't go anywhere from there and the as the story kind of came together it, it to me moved away from like that balance of like mystery intrigue combat to like, well, here's four hours of combat. And you're like, Oh yeah, they really seem to promise a twin peaks type experience where you're going to investigate this creepy town and figure out what's going on. And you're right. It really turned into a third person action shooter. Um, And I think much more than even they wanted at the time. 
So I wonder if, I mean, do you think that we'll see more of that game? Or do you think that because it's the sequel to a known quantity that it needs to hew closer to the known quantity? Well, no spoil, well, vague spoilers. If this takes place after Control, AWE, it can be almost anything. Mm, <laughs> I mean, the, the Remedy universe is is big between these games. And, and I thought the AWE expansion was one of my games of the year last year, that and the Foundation expansion together. Um, so I think there's a lot of room for them to do whatever they want to do, the way the world works in Control and... Yeah, it it could be anything. So my hope is that they lean into what they did really well in Control with its environmental storytelling and intrigue, and then go back to that Twin Peaks style storytelling um, for um, Alan Wake Two. But I, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the name. What was the even? I like their Xbox game. It was just bogged down by Xbox Quantum making, Break. Quantum, Quantum Break. Break. Yeah, no, it was, it was bogged bad. down. It was by, bad. I thought it was, it was. Yeah, it was bad. It's that final, there's a final boss fight, the, the cutscene. Oh boy. There's a 30 no, minute cutscene no, you can't skip. Even the game was bad. I'm sorry. It was, it, it was a disappointment. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, maybe others would like it more, but I found almost all of the mechanics of the game to be pretty. Yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah. I, I liked a lot of it. Again, shortcomings. I would not, it's a five, right? It's not, I'm not saying it, but it, I like a lot of what Remedy tries to do in their games. And I think now with Control and those past two expansions, they seem to be firing on all cylinders. So if they go back to the Alan Wake universe in a in a big way, or Alan Wake franchise in a big way, and and make that the feature, I hope they continue to lean in, kind of the way Marvel does, right? Falcon Winter Soldier is this style of thing. Um, yeah. Ant-Man's this style of thing. And I think they can have that where like Control is this style of thing. And Alan Wake is, is a little more Twin Peaks-y. So yeah, I'm in. I'm 100% in. What about you, Anthony? Are you are you excited about a potential Alan Wake too? Yeah, I think I think the success of Control basically solidified that Remedy was going to be able to make Alan Wake too. They yeah. it had been long talked about. People wanted it. It had its fair share of fans. But every time they sort of talked about it, they said, "We just we're we're not sure." Uh, you know, we don't come to find out they were looking for the right partner. It it really is a case of. They're like any other studio. They have games that people that they make that people like, but Alan Wake isn't like a mainstream product. It has, it's very genre focused and a lot of people are not going to be into that. And so is control, but control just broke that barrier and became this massive hit. And now it has the ability to fuel Alan Wake two. And now they can say for some people, they're going to be saying, Hey, Alan Wake two from the makers of control. Yeah. Wild. And, right. Yeah. And people are going to say, Oh, cool. What is this? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, it also has that Epic money, right? Like I imagine oh, yeah, control absolutely. was a, a hit for them. Epic's looking to bolster their PC exclusives. It does have enough of brand cachet, like you're saying, Anthony and remedy has shown to be a franchise or a, developer that can push um, specs and make very pretty shiny games. And so I think a lot of that make, if assuming Jeff Grubb's stuff is, is accurate, a lot of that makes sense for Epic to fund this um, and help them get it made. And I'm sure they had a very compelling pitch doc ready to go. It's not like, you know, the meeting like, so what else do you have? Kanata, uh, 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 tell them about that thing. <laughs> uh, we, we can make another Alan Wake, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they came no, in locked was and not loaded. That. I'm sure that's part of why they signed with Epic, right? Is because they've been wanting to make this and Epic was like, well, what's it going to take? And they're like, well, we want to make this game. Uh, you know, one, it's not hard to imagine that being the 
progression. So exciting, exciting. Um, one more story before we get to the games that we have been playing. Um, of course, this one almost was my story of the week or easily could have been. I, you know, I don't bring up every AR VR story on the show. Almost I do, but not everyone. I think this one is, is interesting. And I think you guys will have an interesting take on it. Niantic, the makers, of course, of Pokemon Go and other, uh, AR, you know, on a phone type games has teased in a Twitter picture, uh, a, a, a tweet that has a kind of an obscured photo seems to be teasing Niantic branded AR glasses or glasses of some kind. It, it seems like it would be crazy if they're just sunglasses <laughs> that they're advertising. Uh, really feels like it, it's going to be an AR product. Um, Niantic has already shown video of Pokemon Go playing on uh, on uh, HoloLens. So you know that they've been kind of experimenting with that tech. Anthony, do you think, you know, obviously a lot of us are waiting for the Apple promised or rumored AR glasses to really sort of reshape this market as far as when AR can take hold as a real consumer product. But Niantic certainly has the millions of players playing the game that is a killer app for AR. Do you think this has the potential of kind of making a real impact? I mean, I think yes, but I'm also scared of it because I know even when people were just looking at their phones, uh, Pokemon Go was scary. Now imagine if people have a, you know, a giant Bulbasaur in their face and they're walking into traffic. Um, you know, like, yeah. I, I think, you know, they are a company, Niantic, uh, they did a, a game before Pokemon Go uh, Ingress. Ingress, yeah. Um, so they, yeah, they seem to love this concept of just interacting with the world around you, gamifying so many aspects of the things you do, like just walking and and looking at your surroundings and and seeing it in through a different lens, literally. Now, um, so that's kind of exciting. Whether or not they are the company that people are going to have faith in to do it effectively is hard to say. Um, you know, for as much as Pokemon Go was a hit and I played it a good amount when it first came out, it got old really fast and it just well, became... for you, but it's endured for a lot of people. It's yeah, still yeah, a absolutely. hit. 100% yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's not a hit, but I'm saying like for me personally speaking, from my perspective, I would not be as interested in something like that versus seeing how they can build on the gamifying and make it more, I don't know, uh, adult friendly. I don't want to say that that's mean, but you know, just, just like put it in a context where it's for me. Like, I, I don't know, you put Iron Man on the corner, I'll go catch Iron Man, or go, you know, go <laughs> high five. You know, go hi- go put my goggles on and go high five Iron Man. I'm down for yeah, that. Me too. Yeah. Gotta, gotta catch all the armor sets. Yeah, see something like that. So I do believe that they have the clout as far as a company, but um, how they're going to make it both a cool tech and something that melds with their games, uh, we'll have to see. What do you think, Christian? I I mean, I I honestly would be skeptical for most companies that are talking about doing a hardware thing like this that never have before because Niantic never has before. But man. 
Pokemon Go is still a behemoth. And the idea that they're, you know, they're announced that they're working on a new Pokemon game. If there's some way to walk around the world and see Pokemon in your view without having to raise your phone up, I mean, that, that could be really compelling to a lot of huge Pokemon fans. Yeah, this image is so interesting, though. It's kind of, to me, it looks kind of like um, that John Hankey tweeted out. It, it looks kind of like a Velcro or fabric attachment. Almost. I mean, it, it's cropped impeccably to like, what is yeah. that in glasses? There's no hinge. What is that? And the tweet, uh, excited to see the progress we're making to enable new kinds of devices that leverage our platform ellipses. Um, I, I AR excites me. There was that 2019, maybe early 2020. Really, it was pre-pandemic if it was 2020. But that mock-up of like the AR hell we're all going to live in that kind of went viral yeah. for a while. Jeff, I know you and I watched it. Yeah. It's like that really scares me. Um, but I'd play a lot more Pokemon Go if I didn't have to take my phone out. Like straight up. Totally. Like, yeah. To, to, oh, this thing. But the other side of that coin is a lot of the Pokemon Go I play, I play with my kids. And so an AR display, I can't play that way. Like there's a Bulbasaur. Well, I want to see, I want to see. Everybody needs their own set of glasses, bro. Right. And that's, I mean, the, 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 that's the, the scarier side of it. Did you see the HoloLens uh, demo that they did? Yeah. Uh, where at the end of the demo, they didn't really show the functionality, but the end of the demo was, okay, let's get into a Pokemon battle with each other. Who you got, who I got. And they both had their HoloLenses on. I mean, I think that's, that's the dream, right? Is that everybody's got their own glasses and you go, oh my God, look over there. It's Bulbasaur and everybody looks over there and there it is because it's placed in the world in the same spot for everybody. Yeah, my kids That's... won't have their own. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> Just like they don't have their own phone I mean, right now. We don't know the pricing on this thing for sure. But, but Yeah, it's exciting. But I think to your point, Jeff, is the biggest one. Um, hardware is hard. Yeah. Making good hardware is hard. Can Niantic do it? They probably have the money. Um, but I'm curious who their hardware partner is because it's hard. Yeah, certainly something to keep an eye on. Uh, I'm I'm curious. I'm curious I, as a I'm chomping at the bit for AR to sort of arrive. And if the the way to get that to happen is Pokemon games, I think that's probably. I mean, it's it's clearly any AR device is going to have a Pokemon game on it at some point because it's ready to go. It's just sitting there. Uh, so I'm curious to see how this shapes up. All right. Uh, that was a lot of news, but it was all juicy, and I wanted to talk about all of it. So there we have it. Uh, let's talk now about the games that we have been playing in the playlist. Ooh, what you playing this week? Tell us. Ooh, what you playing this week? Tell us on the playlist. Well, I guess we got to start with Outriders this week, right? Because all three of us have been playing it. Anthony, you are our resident looter shooter expert mm-hmm. uh, yep. i'm sure you have been playing a lot of i Outriders. got my phd in both looting and shooting <laughs> you got a m- m- majored in looting minored in shooting yep uh-huh. <laughs> um yeah i mean it's it's the game to play if you can play it and yeah that's the question it's been quite hard to play um I was lucky enough to get a code early enough uh, from Square Enix so that I was able to play before uh, the floodgates were opened uh, once the the game started releasing around the world. I think that Outriders has 
a lot of good stuff going for it. I think that its focus on being single or not single player, but being campaign focused and not really being a live service game works to its benefit. It makes some of the features like the loot and the customization a lot more simple. It doesn't have to adhere to so many rules about balancing for PVP or going into different tiers of content and and worrying too much about that. And so I like that element. Um, but I do think that it also has some some issues as you get further into it. But just strictly speaking about like what the game offers me, it offers me kind of like a uh, loot-focused Mass Effect type game, a sci-fi shooter that has cool powers, has fun classes, and then loot is there. I think even if the loot wasn't there, I would still have a fun time just mixing and matching those powers and customizing my builds and, and the class trees. Yeah. Um, but obvi- yeah, obviously there are other elements to talk about, but I don't really want to like harp on the server issues. Well, I right think we should mention that because you know sure. I think it, it it grows directly from what we were talking about earlier with you know shutting down the the PlayStation Three and PSP and Vita stores, right? Because it's all part of the same thing. Where I, if I buy Outriders and I want to play it as a single player game because it offers a single player experience. Or I am a Xbox Game Pass subscriber and I want to download my Outriders and check it out this weekend because I'm all excited uh, and I just cannot play, even if I have no interest in playing with other people. That is, it's a real bummer. And I've been one of those people that has defended, I mean, back when the Xbox One was announced and all of the hullabaloo and backlash about the always on connection requirement. I defended that. I, I was the, I, I, for a long time, I said, it's the future. Microsoft is just ahead of the curve here. It's not that big of a deal. It's not going to affect that many people's lives, but I think it's, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to deny the fact that, you know, when you have something like a, a, an MMO and you log onto a server and it says, Oh, we were at capacity. You can't log on now. There's sort of, you sort of go, "Ah, yeah, I get it. It, This is thousands of people all playing in the same shared world at the same time. That's part of the game is that there's a lot of people playing it. But even when I read Outriders had more concurrent Steam users, this is for a game that's also on Xbox Game Pass, but it had more concurrent Steam users this weekend than Borderlands 2 had at its peak a sequel to a established franchise. This is new IP. This game is crushing. Yeah. But I just want to play it as a single player game. I'm not, I don't, yeah. that doesn't matter to me. And, and yet I can't log on. I think that's, yeah, that's a real problem. I, I mean, the main, the main issue is that the developers were just not really upfront about it. You know, they didn't want to say, look, we just don't want people to, you know, cheat in our game, or we just don't want people to pirate our game. Um, you know, they, they always try to say something that's more PR speak to say, this is why it has to be online. But at the end of the day, your, your first weekend kind of sets the tone for your game. And I know that plenty of people understand because destiny Avengers, Anthem division, 
all those games have had launch problems, but all of those games have a online component where you're like, oh, okay, I feel like I'm online. Yeah. This doesn't have that. This doesn't need to have that whatsoever. You, you initiate the matchmaking. You initiate the, I want to play with other people. I want to take my game online. And I think that's a, that's a real element that, I don't, the other weird thing is that it just, it just doesn't seem like it's just server load in some cases, because one of the concerns that I have about playing the game is that I don't want to do any of the end game content because it can be somewhat long and they, when they, the servers go down, they sometimes roll them back a little bit. Mm. Um, And so you lose loot or, or the expeditions, which are the real end games, so to speak, you have to finish them to get the loot. So if you don't make it to the end, you don't, it's pointless. Yeah. Um, So I think that there's so much about the game that maybe they just weren't being upfront uh, with about how it works or, or maybe they just misunderstood the audience or whatever, but it just, that, that part, yes, does really, really bum me out because it's not just a case of like, okay, I'm trying to get on and so is everybody else. And we're running into issues. There's so many like different nuanced problems. There's like HUDs disappearing. Yeah. People on PC are getting crazy stuttering. They released a demo. You know, it wasn't like they did a beta to test load. They released a demo and and people that were fine on the demo are now suddenly experiencing problems. And that seems really weird. And, you know, I think you hit on the lesson, as it always is, is communication, right? I mean, even the game doesn't do a good enough job at communication. There is no, when they were experiencing all those problems... All of the all of the game ever told me as I spent multiple hours trying to get in to play it was error. Can't can't communicate with the ser- servers. There was no expression of you're in a queue or hey, sorry, we're we took the servers down for a while. There's no messaging to the players at all as to what's going on. We've got this covered, we understand what's going on. All it was was error message which is probably the worst thing that you could show to someone in that situation because you just feel like, Oh, what I am. I am I the problem. Am I experiencing this by myself? Is everybody experiencing this problem? What's going on? So that's the first lesson to take away from it. The second is, and this may be my own personal bugaboo, but also when you say, when you give me a screen that says push any button to start. And when I push any button, it errors out and pushed me back to that screen. You need to have that screen let me exit to desktop. Because if I need to alt tab out and close the window just to get out of this horrible not never ending loop of sadness, <laughs> I'm not going to walk away from your game with a positive feeling. Anyway, um yeah. but I, yeah, I mean you really had to follow them on Twitter to find out yes. what was going on, but even then what they were saying on Twitter wasn't it, it, I don't like being conspiracy theory guy, but it just felt like they weren't giving us the full picture. You know, it wasn't them just saying like, Hey guys, we didn't ent- I'm trying to think of what there was a game recently. Maybe it was Anthem or maybe it was something else, but there was a game that came out and they said, look, we didn't anticipate um, this amount of, I think it was Friday the 13th. They were like, we didn't anticipate people coming at this game. We did a beta, but you've blown away those numbers. So we're just, we're working day and night. Yeah to get this the servers more 
they're not really saying what's happening. You know, they're just saying, hey, <laughs> they're saying things like, yeah, we're going to turn it off and on again to see what yeah, happens. Yeah, I know. And, the mother of I all that- shutoffs and turn-ons is, was the tweet. I was like, okay, it's it's fine. And, and hopefully, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks, nobody will even remember this. But it, it it is a lesson, I think, in communicate to your player base and give people information. Because if I just had read hey, this isn't going to work for the next two hours. Come back. I would have felt a heck of a lot better than, well, I guess try again. I mean, it literally told me in the error message, try again later. You yeah. know, it's like... I, I think the worst part is that they came out and said, look, it's not a live service game. We're not trying to compete right. with Destiny. It's like, well, if I wanted to play The Last of Us Part Two on the weekend it came out and I couldn't play it until Monday, yeah, I would not be happy. Right. You know, like there are people that, they were set this expectation of this is just a game where I want to experience the story and you can't. Um, But but yeah, I do want to say that there is a lot to like about the game and I, I, you know, hope we can talk about that. We absolutely will. And I, I, I've played it. It's not that I never got in. I did eventually. I mean, there were times when I got in and I just got booted right out after 15 seconds of shooting. I mean, it it was a real mess and it's frustrating. And I think it's worth talking about It's I don't want to be, you know, unduly, I don't want to be unfair to the game, but you know, that's, it's a part of the story uh, of what it was to play it. But you know, you've, you've played a lot of these kinds of games, Anthony. Um, Yes. What do you think? uh, It's interesting. I I immediately put it in the classification of, Oh, this, this feels like destiny meets gears of war, but I really like how you said, you know, it's kind of like mass effect as a multiplayer game, as a pure shooter. And I, I think that's kind of neat. I mean, I think the powers are fun and cool. What do you see as the sort of um, differentiator for Outriders? Is it is well, it something that you'll stick with over the long period? I don't think so. Um, I they haven't really said too much about what their plan is long term. But it seems like there there is kind of a thing to do. One, you know, you hit. It seems like the progression is you hit level thirty, you hit the maximum world tier. You do the expeditions to get the loot. You can level up that loot to a max maximum equip level based on your world tier. And then you're sort of done. You know, you're just, you're as strong as you're going to be for the same content that you've already been doing. Um, it doesn't really seem like they have um, I- anything to add to that. Like on a regular basis, there will, they've said that there will be DLC and things like that, but that kind of seems like, okay, that, that's totally fine for me. I think that's that reminds me more of Borderlands of, you know, I, I did the grinding, I got the weapons, I, I kind of catered my build to the way I wanted. And when there was new stuff, I could come back in and, and collect it. Um, I think the difference between it and some of the other shooters, it's a little more active. Um, you know, Division, for example, was heavily rooted and just sitting behind cover. Yeah. Uh, this game encourages more moving around. The powers are, uh, they refresh pretty fast. You know, destinies, grenades and melees and supers charge a little slower. Uh, I'm playing as trickster and I also have a devastator going, but just like being able to actively use them and, and mix and match them as fun. Um, the different weapon types uh, support different play styles. You having to like be involved to heal and not just kind of sit back there and just wait to poke your yeah. head out. I think that's the um, biggest, the the kind of the coolest innovation, if you can use that word in the game yeah. is, is how the healing works is it really, it's almost like doom. The, the, you know, yeah, 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 remake yeah. of doom that 
where it's asking you to push forward to heal yourself, um, which I think can be a little frustrating in Outriders at times, but is also, I, I think, makes the game much more kinetic and much more active overall, especially when compared to Division, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the, I think the, there are some some elements of that that maybe aren't balanced really well. The idea of the captains having the altered powers as well and just being able to spam them at will. Um, some of the enemies just kind of surrounding you, I, you know, it not necessarily making it um, particularly like fun in certain c- circumstances. If you're trying out something, you really have to like lock into a build. If you want to play at the highest world tier possible, you can always drop it down. Um, but the higher the world tier, the better your loot. And that's, what i'm here for yeah Uh, but yes there are times where it's like oh man that just feels really cheap where i'm just surrounded and there's nothing i can do um but the the different levels or the different designs of the kind of like mini open worlds they they have a lot of variety going on there's maybe not enough variety in the enemy types they they seem a a lot of a little bit too samey uh in some cases but overall i just like the loop that it offers i think that the loot is satisfying you get a legendary or you get a um yeah a legendary i I might now my destiny terminology and my (laughs) uh, i think legendary is the the highest tier those have cool perks like you know you hit crits and lightning rains down from the sky or call a meteor or do stuff like that and they're just fun right out of the box you don't have to worry about anything else um the way that you can customize your build is really cool where you dismantle um, pieces of gear and you pull the mods off them and then you can use those mods on other things to kind of cater your build. It just doesn't seem to have that um, element that some of these other live service games have where they're just worried about you being too powerful or they're worried about you getting too much loot or having too good of like stuff in yeah. in your arsenal. The game is just like, yeah, go crazy because that seems to be what's fun and I really love that more than anything. Christian, I know you were super high on this game uh, pre-release, and uh, I think there is a lot to like about it. I got to say, from my perspective, man, the intro to this game, the the onboarding of this game is a disaster. I think, uh, particularly the writing, to me, is really uh, not not something I appreciate at all. I I enjoy it all in the game. It's got this sort of edgelord attitude to everything and the, the, this bizarre way it brings you into the world where you're doing stuff in the first hour that you literally never do again only to give you a flash forward from the future to the far future it's all it's and it's cutscenes and non-combat and teaching you things and having you talk to people that ultimately make no difference whatsoever all while just yelling and assaulting you with i don't know memorable characters that aren't memorable at all i just feel like the the beginning of this game did not work for me in any way and it was kind of a fight to even get to the good stuff also because i couldn't get onto the server but um i know you really enjoyed the demo are you playing the full game now too yeah, uh, so I, I received a code for the game, so I'm playing it on PC versus uh, on my Xbox series. I also played it some on my phone uh, with GeForce Now and my Backbone, which was a great way to just uh, play through some 
um, you know, roll, go for some loot rolls. I agree with you, Jeff, that the prologue is unfortunate. It is, it is not representative of what the game becomes. Um, I think it could have very easily opened with your character being woken up out of cryo. And yeah. instead of like a slog through this murder valley, it could just be like, get up, soldier, we need you. And you're like, what? And if they want to do a tutorial, it's like, okay, we got, you still know how to shoot, right? If you don't, go over to the range. You know, just like get you up to speed and get you going pretty quickly to the fun stuff. Yeah. Um, but a, a couple of things here uh, that you all were talking about. One, I love this game. I absolutely love it. I, I, I love the moment-to-moment gameplay. I'm playing as a trickster class again in the demo and at the hands-on event in a, a, another world ago. <laughs> um, I played as a trickster and the pyromancer. And I, I I'm really, playing as pyromancer primarily myself, just FYI. I really love how the trickster moves and, and moves around the world and, and those kind of time-shifting abilities I think are super fun and, and lend themselves to my natural play style in, in this game or these types of games, perhaps. Um, regarding the server issues, very problematic. I was fortunate that I was you know somewhere without cell reception. I was off the grid. Um, I couldn't have been playing this game when it first launched, even if I wanted to. Um, and it's super unfortunate. That said... And maybe it's just because I went to the event and I was very hyped for this game, so I was a little more aware of it. I I, I disagree, assuming I heard you right, kind of what you both are saying. I think this I think they telegraphed what this game was pretty clearly. Like it's like the division. The division also has a story and a campaign, and that needs to be logged onto a server. It had problems. Um Tom Clant the last Ghost Re- Wildlands, who Breakpoint are named very similarly. <laughs> that one had it's like Again, I don't want to excuse it because all games have it. It stinks. I don't understand game design. I don't understand why you can't on that aspect of like turn on more servers. I don't. I don't get that stuff. I don't get how they had a demo and then it seemed to crash so horribly at full release. I don't know how that works. But I, I think I was very aware that Outriders was an online game, and because of that, kind of expected this to happen. Um, again, I think like the division, yes, it has a, it's, it's a single player game in a sense, but you always need to be connected because of reasons. Well, Um, I mean, to be fair, when you play multiplayer, you're not playing on a server. It's peer to peer like Borderlands, like Borderlands. I can play offline, but it is an online game. Like the game is peer to peer. Mm. So that's the, that's the issue. So what server issues, why do I have server issues with destiny then? Because Destiny is a is a server. Big shared you, universe. You log into a like division. You go into a hub world, and you can see other people. You cannot see other people in Outriders unless you match make with those people. Yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah. So yes, different. Yes, I, I will not stumble across like just random people all standing around the bulletin board. Um, sure. With me and well, yeah, I just wanted to clarify that like this game, when you play multiplayer, you are playing peer to peer. There is no got it, got it. Okay. Server, whereas Destiny, you you guys are, um, you know, there 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 is stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. So I don't understand the back end of this game. They talked about it a little bit after the demo, like why there are those load screens between moving to areas and kind of how they engineered to have to keep people together. I don't understand that stuff. It's very technical, and I'm sure that decisions had to be made. And and I don't know. Um, I agree that it was unfortunate that it launched with so many problems. I do think their team did a pretty good job communicating externally uh, in game. I could see how it'd be frustrating, but I'd also imagine at that point, they don't care what their in-game messaging looks like. Well, I, my just- point is they should. I, I think that if I just buy your game and turn it on and it just says error can't connect, 
I don't know what's going on. I don't know, nor should I be required to go search for that answer. You should be telling me, hey, we're experiencing a high server load. You know, you are in a queue or you, you know, or, you know, we'll be doing, taking, there was a period where I was trying to log into that game that I didn't realize until later, their Twitter said, nobody can log in right now. The game didn't tell me that. Why not? If, I don't if, think they anticipated those problems. Well, that's, pro- that's that's the issue, right? They that's didn't the pre-plan issue. for they, it. It's like they didn't have the prenup for the divorce. Well, you need to have that. <laughs> that's what I think is is the takeaway, is that you need to have that communication pipeline to the players because it's super important. If your game requires that kind of handshake in order for just a single-player player to get any game, then let's make sure that there's a communication system in place for the game to communicate to the player what is going on. Um, I don't know. That's that. It's a, maybe a small point, but it's one that I feel passionate about. Yeah, I, I hear you, and I, I don't want to be dismissive of it. I just feel like, again, it's like a crappy thing that I've accepted of what games are these days. Like, ah, and then I'll check the Twitter or check the Discord or Google if I need to get more information. I, I wish I could just blow on the cartridge and try it again. Um, but I feel like that's just kind of the state of the of the world and where gaming is going. Um, so I think I'm accepting of it. Um, to the game itself. Yeah, the, I like that it's not going to be a forever game. I, I, I like that it's a story and I can hit max loot. I loved Destiny 2 when it launched and I did all the stuff. Um, I've certainly gone back to Destiny 2 enough, but I, I like this style of a game. I, I think it's generous with its loot, as Anthony mentioned, because it's not trying to hold things back or give you a reason to respec or, or re-roll later. Um, I'm not advancing my world tier at the pace that it normally would be because I want to feel OP and I'm having fun just destroying people as I've become this um, God, (laughs) you know, on this planet. And I I like that experience. Um, I agree with you, Jeff, that like the the story is not what's pulling me through. It is um, much like Bulletstorm. I love the combat in Bulletstorm, but people can fly, I think, their tone isn't what I'm looking for necessarily in terms of like a compelling, captivating yeah. story. Um, but I, I really love that moment to moment gameplay. And I think it's super satisfying to get loop drops. Um, the environment is interesting and I definitely, like I'm, I'm thinking about it when I'm not playing it. It's super fun. And it's for the most part run really, really well for me on PC. There was one moment where I don't, again, I don't know why it happened, but I was cruising along at, you know, around 144 frames. And then like I went into a load screen and then came out and I couldn't get anything above 60. And like my settings were still, my FPS was unlocked and I don't know what happened. So I hit a save point, quit out, got back in and and things were, um, things were ripping along again. And then there are other moments and again, not a technical person, but I feel like it's not always clear that I'm taking damage and then I'll look and my health is gone. It feels like a server disconnect where it's like there are bullets traveling through server space, but not game space. And I'm like, who shot me? How did I, and I that's my biggest nit, but I, I, I think, I think that's a, a little bit to do with the world tier. Um, one of the things that I think I would recommend to anybody that's playing it and saying like, wow, this seems very hard it's on by default that it knocks you into the next world tier every time you go up and that will eventually put the enemies higher and higher level than you. So I think you start where you're like on level and then it'll be their plus 
one plus two. And I think that is something that for me personally, like once I got to a certain point where I was like, I just want to finish the game, I knock the world tier down and it makes a huge uh, difference. But yes, I agree with you. If you're, if you're just like progressing and, and knocking up your world tiers and not realizing it, there is some weird imbalance where, you know, a sniper shot will take three quarters of your health and you're like, <laughs> that's, that doesn't really seem fair. Cause the, my only way to heal is to get to up, kill there. something. Yeah. Um, and I'm just going to put myself in, in harm's way. Um, but yeah, I do. I do. I agree with, I agree with most of what you're saying. I just, the, uh, my, yeah, my criticism ha- as far as the online has to do with the fact that it just didn't need to be an online game. I don't, I don't think that they, you know, they did a great job of explaining what they were going for. Cause they, you know, people ask them point blank, who are you going targeting for? And they said, we're not targeting live service. It's not a live service game. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if this game maintains its momentum or if it was sort of right place, right time, because it, you know, it hit at a time where nothing else is really coming out and boy, it sure seems to have been a massive, massive hit. Um, which, you know, kudos to them. I hope it, I hope the game endures. I certainly intend to play more of it. Um, I just, uh, you know, tonally not my favorite it's it's real fun mechanically it's great and i think it is it is a, a fun time especially with friends yeah uh, eventually cross play will work and we can play together yeah right yeah. exactly um let me take a second and thank our second sponsor hello fresh i mentioned at the top of the show uh that tonight is uh, easter sunday and you know we usually would have a, a real nice nice dinner my my talk to my family my dad and he was like what are you guys having for dinner tonight and I said, oh, we're doing something real special, making HelloFresh. I guess it's not special because we have HelloFresh every week, but man, the meals are delicious and they're holiday meal caliber for me. What did we make tonight? I made, for my family, because I can, I made pork schnitzel. Maybe it's not the traditional Easter Sunday meal, but it was delicious. Pork schnitzel with um, glazed carrots and um, and potatoes. Oh, so good, so easy, so fast. HelloFresh gives me those pre-measured ingredients, mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to my door. I don't have to go out. I don't have to worry. I don't have to decide on a menu, figure out what I'm going to cook. I don't have to go to the grocery store and buy a whole bunch of extra ingredients for stuff that I only use a small portion of. Invariably, it'll go bad in the fridge and I'll have to throw it out. All those pain points are removed with HelloFresh. HelloFresh cuts out that stressful meal planning, cuts out the grocery store trips so I can enjoy cooking. I love, love being able to cook for my family. I, my wife and I, honestly, we switch back and forth with who's going to cook, but I often volunteer because I enjoy it so much. I really have fallen in love with the process of cooking because all of the things I didn't like are gone now. I just pull out that wonderful bag from HelloFresh and pull out the, the, the ingredients that are fresh and start cutting them up and, and cooking the meal. It's, it's great. And it's also healthier because I know what's going into my recipes. They also have low-calorie, carb-smart, vegetarian, pescatarian options. Part of the joy of HelloFresh for me is picking out the menu in advance. We have um, the app and... You can, you know, weeks in advance, you can go in and select your meals for the week. You get over 22, actually it says over 23, so I guess it's both right in both cases, uh, recipes every single week. So I'm picking out stuff that sounds awesome, 
so much variety. It means I'm not eating the same thing all the time. They also offer easy eats, which are the quick and easy meal solutions. We did one of those this week. It was out of ready to make, uh, ready to bake gnocchi. Love gnocchi. Those are ready in about 10 to 20 minutes. Low prep. It's just, I mean, there's so many options. It has improved my life so much. You should check it out. Go to hellofresh.com slash 10 DLC. That's one zero DLC. HelloFresh.com slash one zero DLC. Use that promo code 10 DLC as well. One zero DLC for 10 free meals, including free shipping. So again, HelloFresh.com slash 10 DLC. Promo code 10 DLC gets you 10 free meals, including free shipping. I think you'll love it as much as I do. Give it a shot. All right, Anthony, what else is on your playlist? Well, I uh, I played through, uh, I did like a full playthrough of It Takes Two. Um, I want to play this game so bad, but Christian won't play with me. No, you, well, a- this I was is- out of town. <laughs> I was very close. I was like, I can play today and I can show up the text, my friend, of you just not replying. Hmm. Hmm. It, I so. Say, no, I, I can't play with you, Jeff. I, I'm not going to play with you. <laughs> <laughs> if this will help your situation, it is one of the best games of this year. Oh, we got to play it, Christian, so, you and me. It takes two. There's two of it's, us. It's perfect. It's so good. But um, yeah, I, uh, so it's from Joseph Ferris and Hazelight. They made Brothers Tale of Two Sons. Which is one of my favorite made, games. So good. Uh, a Way Out. And I think A Way Out was more, okay, we want to try this idea of shared screen no matter if you're playing online or on the couch you're going to see the other player's screen for the majority of it right but it was very gimmicky you know a lot of what you did was like one-off things this game is instead focused on giving each character a mechanic usually very different but kind of symbiotic in some way and and just giving you a bunch of different experiences with that mechanic and then changing it up uh the general conceit is that you play as uh, either a husband or a wife, uh, you are planning to have a divorce. Your daughter, Magical Tears, puts you into these dolls, and you have to work th- together as the, these two people that are planning to separate uh, in order to solve your predicament and also advance. So you're going through basically uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kid-esque environment. So you're in the tool shed, you're in this giant tree, but it also has so many fantastical elements. It's not just true to life. There's like anthropomorphic hammers and, and toolboxes and, and uh, squirrels that talk and the squirrels are in a battle with the hornets and the tree. Um, and you're going through that, through the kids' uh, environment, like their pillow fort is a crazy, you know, uh, like it's it's almost like you're going through uh, basically a space station uh at, at one point but both of the characters get different mechanics in each area sometimes they change within that area you're doing so many different things it's crazy how long this game is you know you'd think like okay a way out was pretty short and yeah it was like okay yeah they ran out of things this game just never stops giving you stuff to do um, a good example, I don't really want to spoil anything because that's kind of the fun. Um, but one of the ones you get early on is the uh, guy, Cody, can throw nails like Kratos throws his axe. Hmm. So he can call them back in his hand. And then uh, May, the wife, she has a hammer. So she can basically 
hit things and knock them and make them move. And then he can throw the nail and they can lock them in place, but also he can throw the nail and she can jump and swing on the nail. So you're basically making the, the, the handlebars that she swings from. And it just, it goes from there. It gets crazy. And it's really, really cool. I think the story is probably the weakest, weakest element, but it's, it's still pretty well done. Um, The voice acting is really good. The, the visuals are impressive. And then on top of all of that, in addition to everything you're doing, which makes it a great game, there are like 20 something plus mini games packed throughout the game that are, you just go over to a mini game and you and your friend or you and the person you're playing with can play a mini game. And most of them are really good and creative. They, they're not just like basic ripoffs of existing games. They have a lot of fun elements to them and you could just sit there and compete against each other. There's a full chessboard. Wow. There's a literal full chessboard, but there's like other games that are more, you know, just unique. There's like a little slot car um, race track and you can race. It's such a good game. I highly recommend if you have a friend, uh, a long lost friend, somebody you haven't connected with, like it, the the better relationship or the more the, the relationship is that you have with the person you're playing with. I think the funner, the more fun the game is. Yeah, Jeff, we we can't play this. then. So (laughs) like if you've, I don't know, known someone and work with them for over eight years. And so Christian and I are going to play. together. I would love to (laughs) thank you for the, (laughs) but you know, I, I really think that there's just, it really was like a way out was a proof of concept. And then this was like Joseph Ferris saying like, you know, I wanted to make it cool with this prison breakout concept, but this is maybe not as appealing from the perspective of the visuals. It looks like a Pixar movie. And so some people are just going to, you know, turn their nose at it, but it's so much a better game and it really is worth playing. And yeah, playing with somebody that you have a good rapport with, cause you can kind of, you know, troll each other and, you know, like the, the nail example, my friend would jump to the nail and I would pull it out and he'd fall. <laughs> it was like, just, you know, for a while, those things are fun. And just, just like having a good relationship when you're communicating what you're doing is better than if you were just playing online with a stranger and they're just looking at your screen and going, oh, well, I see he's doing this. I'm going to do this to help them. Right. But it's a great game. It's, I think it's, um, definitely going to make my uh, top 10 for sure. It takes two. Just uh, need, a, need a friend to play no, with me. Yeah, I, I'll be I, honest. Uh, I don't think this is a potential like divorce separation trigger warning. Like That's the thing oh, that no. throws me off of this game. I don't want to Google the oh, story because okay. I don't want to know it. Um, I have zero interest in playing that from what I've heard about. It's like they're going to get separated. Their daughter's is heartbroken then forces them to come together. I don't know if they end up reconciling or they some end up sort of parent trap. Realize it. It, it zero appeal to me. Zero, the chance of me ever playing this game. Very, very small. I, I just That's doesn't fair. do it. I will. I will say it is very on the nose. It doesn't feel, they feel like caricatures. I don't know if that changes it for you, but it's, it doesn't feel like these are really people that are getting a divorce. It feels more like these are people that, just they're getting a divorce because the writers said they're getting a divorce. Um, you know, it, I, I do, I do totally, you know, I'm a child of divorce. I totally get where you're coming from. And I know that some people like it might, um, you know, trigger them in some ways, but it, I would say it's not, it doesn't feel as realistic. It's as, more like a sitcom, right? It's more like, yes. The, yeah. Yeah. 
you know, it, 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 there's a, there's a literal book of love, a talking book of love. He has a really kind of offensive accent. He talks like this. Um, uh, he's Dr. Hakim on the book of love. And he like is basically their, their marriage therapist. The accent is so offensive that I'm going to do it for you now. Well, you know, I have to, I have to do it. Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. You have to you have to understand the tone of the game because uh-huh. yeah it the although there is like some serious subject matter it doesn't it doesn't um make it that heavy yeah. at least it it didn't in the way that I felt about it but yes I I can respect people that will say yeah this is just subject matter that I don't want to deal with again the game is it takes two highly recommended from Mr Tarmina. Uh, both of you guys have also played um, a game called Narita Boy. Christian, you want to kick us off and talking about Narita Boy? Yeah, Narita Boy is a game that oh, that's the wrong one that I really liked playing the demo of during the um, Steam Summer of Games, whatever they're not summer, spring of games. I don't know. One of these like, hey, there's games to play uh, demos and it is a action platformer and it survives in my opinion on its style. It is so full of style and sense of self. Um, you're, it's, uh, you know, sucked into the computer game to save the world of the creator kind of trope. And then it's a beautiful neon soaked, um, pixel art with like a pulsing um synth wave soundtrack that's going and the idea of saving the computer from within and praying to the digital gods as this code is trying to rewrite itself but just the visuals and the pixel art animation of this game and the music that's playing the whole time there are moments where you're like on a reflective floor and I know it's not ray tracing, but it's like, you see the reflection of yourself in the world. And as you're running and you're holding the techno sword, which is it's RGB, you know, right. It's just like the three colors that make up everything of this kind of late eighties PC world. And it's just absolutely stunning. Like just jaw dropping, stunning. I could watch a gif of this just on loop and the way the enemies kind of become disemboweled as you slice through them, or you can use your uh, sword as a shotgun to, or a, a one big beam to kind of blast through them. And the attention to detail in the animations and the visuals of this game, again, a pixel art style game just blows me away. Like the creator, the guy, the Steve jobs, kind of whatever character when you're in the computer, it's like his head is kind of like a hologram that's floating in certain areas. Just stunning. The gameplay itself, I would say is, is very average. Um, probably better than that. Like I'm enjoying it, but when I played the demo, I was like, this is incredible. I unlocked an air dash. My sword can also be a shotgun. Where's this game going to go? And now I'm like, that's where it goes. <laughs> I've, I've seen all the, the pretty much what you do. Um, but I'm still, and it's also on, I wore my green today. It's also on game pass. <laughs> um, it's, it's beautiful. Highly, highly, highly recommend, um, just for the aesthetic and the feel of the game. And I think the gameplay is good enough to warrant the playthrough. I haven't finished it. Um, but to where I am, 
Uh, I think it's worth it to warrant the playthrough. And I really hope that this team, you know, makes more games and, and maybe partners with, um, what, what's Matt makes games called now? Pretty okay games. So, you know, or someone that has maybe a, can bring a little bit more or they have a little more time to spend on, I don't know, but a little more inventiveness to the actual gameplay mechanics itself. But holy crap, I I highly recommend Narita Boy still. I, I absolutely love it. Anthony, I'm curious if the aesthetic is enough for you as well or if it kind of leaves you wanting. No, I, I think I... Uh... I agree with you. Um, I actually disagree with you that I think the game does do more. Um, I would say stick with it. Um, oh, sure. I definitely had the feeling that you did of, okay, I maybe it, it doesn't have more to offer beyond this. And then some stuff happens and I was like, okay, you got me back in. I think the, I agree with you. The music is great. Um, for some people might be a little confused about like what type of game it is. It is linear it is straightforward it's there linear is some backtrack like i said in yeah chat, it's so like you, it's a you metroidvania and that you backtrack but you don't have a map I, yeah where you're you unlocking don't, you don't really like metroidvania like unlock powers i would say the one criticism i have is that um when you when you get to the the door for example that you need to get to there'll be a person there um maybe it's it's the 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 motherboard um she'll say hey you need this key and this key is located here, but in order to get there, you need to get the key to go here. There's a lot of like multi-layered objectives. Um, and that sometimes to me felt a little bit like busy work. Uh, it felt like I was like just going to a place to talk to a person to get a thing to come right back. Um, and so it's not like Metroidvania of like, oh, I got these new power. Where can I get to that I couldn't before? It's still pretty your momentum is definitely going forward. You're just going backwards past doors that were locked earlier to then get the things to then go back to the door. Uh, that was sort of and then with uh, no map. Your progress. I think with no map, make yes. those a little more frustrating because it's very proper nouny, which when it works is cool because it's like, oh, this world, the creator, the him, the whatever. Yes. But this game it, is deep with lore. Yeah. It bombards you <laughs> with lore there. Yeah. But then when it's like, you need to go to the upper place to retrieve, retrieve the gizmondo that re- replicates from the storage waste. And you're like, I need to go down. Like, what am I yeah, <laughs> it's like, you are the Narita boy. You are to save the trichroma. You must revitalize the memories of the creator to defeat him, but you must head to the regions of blue, yellow, and red, <laughs> but you, you must enter the trifurcation to go into the it's there's a lot of terminology yeah Um, and i guess for the gameplay for me i would say like katana zero also covered in in style like had a little more it was like a pixel perfect action platform that required like commit i need to i can get through this level and i'm gonna it's gonna loop me right back and it's difficult and where i am in narita boy it's like Oh, this dodge animation takes two extra clicks and I want it to like it's it's a little stiff. It's, it's the, stiffer. It's the style of the fluid, game. Yeah. yeah. Um but I yeah, I I think just the soundtrack and the visuals alone are going to sell a lot of people. Maybe they'll just play it for an hour, but it's on Game Pass. I highly recommend just if you have Game Pass, let it be another one of those games that you wouldn't have tried otherwise. Check it out. Um but if it if you just watch like a brief trailer and that visual style appeals to you, I think 
it does deliver there. There are a few moments um, that I had that I experienced in the game where it was like, wow, this is this is just like 80s, uh, like last Starfighter or Tron. Like mm, this just feels so that. And I I really liked being in the world. It's cool. That's Narita Boy available now on Game Pass and other places. Um my my uh, playlist has uh, a game that we talked about last week. Actually, Sean Kittleson recommended Trials of Fire to me. And I think on the episode, as we were recording it, I purchased it. And so I played some of it this week. Uh, it is very much my jam, as I thought, as he was describing it. It is a card-based, turn-based role-playing game. Um and it's got this beautiful, beautiful storybook aesthetic to it where each page, you know, the map is a page of the book. Everything is a page of the book. And as you go into battles and stuff, pages or um, landscape from the book kind of manifests in three dimensions and comes to life. It's beautifully, beautifully done. It kind of it kind of um, grows in three dimensions from a white page and then colorizes into trees and rocks and shrubbery it's really really slick and it's very much the kind of game that i love i i I really like the visuals of this game really pretty uh simplistic in a lot of ways in the sense that they're just tokens for things uh, instead of full 3d models or even drawn full models of or you know 2d models of of enemies and, and characters so it's all tokens it's kind of abstracted that way but it's still really a visually arresting game and uh, each character has their own deck of cards. You're, you know, fighting, uh, it, moving on the uh, based on the cards. The, I think the unique mechanic here, as far as how the cards operate, is that, you know, in, in a Hearthstone or Magic the Gathering or any of those kinds of card based battle games, you've got mana in some way. You've got a way to generate potential to play cards you've got a limiter on how many cards you can play based on how much mana you've got in hearthstone it's a linear path you get more mana as the rounds progress in magic the gathering you have to draw cards for in your hand that let you play mana in front of you uh, a number of ways you can go about doing this with trials of fire you actually have to burn cards from your hand each character can uh, burn cards to create mana points. And then those other, uh, each card has a cost. And the only way you get that cost is to discard other cards, which is clever. And the discarding of cards can give you a, a variety of things. You, they can give you defense, they can give you movement, or they can give you this currency that lets you pay for other cards from your hand. And it, it's effective but ultimately, from a psychological perspective, it's just not as fun. It feels like I'm giving something up right away. The first thing I have to do on a turn is throw away potentially cool options. And I think just purely based on that, it, it doesn't feel as fun as other games where I'm getting all these cards and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have all these cool options and I just don't have enough mana to use them all. Here... I have all these cool options and I I know I have to destroy some of them. I'm already, the first thing I'm looking at is, okay, what are the cards that I can just scuttle to get myself some juice to, to 
do anything else. And while that is a really interesting push and pull of decision-making, I guess, the decision doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel, you know, it feels like a, um, a negative kind of decision because I'm just going, Oh, I have to give something up. I have to, does it not have that? Oh gosh. Uh, you rip up the actual board game. Like, I feel like maybe it's going oh. for, for that type of <laughs> like a like, legacy game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't think that's exactly what it's going for. It, I mean, cause you're doing that on every turn, right? You get three heart cards in your hand per character on, on your board. And you're going to have to burn some cards. You're going to have to scuttle some cards. Um, I mean, there are other ways. There are cards that give you that. It's called willpower in the game. They give you willpower. Oh, I have none of that. If there's ice cream in my <laughs> house, like. Uh. <laughs> Surprised you're even here at all. Ice cream in your house. Um, anyway, so I think it's a really good game. I just feel when I compare it to something like Gordian Quest, which to me is still the best game I've played all year so far. Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't have that compelling, oh my gosh, every move feels really good. It, it, I feel so powerful. I feel so motivated to keep coming up with cool combos because every turn I'm going, this is a yucky choice. This is an uncomfortable choice. This is, uh, what do I have to, what do I have to get rid of? And then sometimes you get, I get rid of too many cards at the beginning. Cause I want to give myself a lot of options of willpower to spend and i go oh it would have been cool to have that card that i got rid of and the game does have some an undo button for some stuff which is interesting very few games in this style have an undo button but um i, I think there's a lot to like about trials of fire i i'm you know it's for 15 bucks i'm getting a lot of joy out of it but i just have a hard time putting it above something like gordian quest which just really hit all on all cylinders for me I think there is something to be, and I haven't played Trials of Fire, but uh, aside from um, the legacy games and kind of like destroying the game, it also kind of reminded me of Magic Legends of like, I really like that mechanic of like, oh, my deck, I could build this great diverse deck. But also what I love about Outriders is I get to spec my character my way and like, oh, my trickster is doing all this cool stuff. And in Magic Legends, which I've, I've played some of since last week, uh, more um it's like i wanted to use my cool powers just let me use my cool powers and i could see some frustration of like you build your deck a certain way and it's like well bye (laughs) you know bye to these cards yeah but i think devs are playing with that it's interesting it is interesting it is interesting and i again i like i like trials of fire um but you know i i think it's interesting to analyze those kinds of the kinds of decisions that feel really good and then the kinds of decisions that feel less good because they're forcing you to make compromises that, you know, feel like, oh, I'm really giving something up. Um, it's just interesting. It's kind of the, the same thing I talk about with, with um, cooperative board games where there's a difference between a cooperative board game where it feels like we're trying to do something versus one where we're just trying to stave off bad things. One of those is like, wow, it's cool. It really feels like we're trying to do all these cool things. And the other one is like, we're just trying to postpone the inevitable. You know, we're just trying to get rid of all the bad stuff. And one feels really good. One doesn't feel as good to me, at least. All right. Uh, finally, just really briefly, I want to mention that I re-downloaded Ratchet and Clank on PlayStation 5. 
I owned it on PlayStation 4. I redownloaded it because the 60 frames per second patch upgrade for PlayStation 5 has been released. Have either of you guys checked this out? I did, yeah. I've just watched the Digital Foundry video, and it... It looks like a brand new game. It's gorgeous. Gorgeous. And boy, I'm so excited for the next Ratchet & Clank game. It made me want to replay through this Ratchet & Clank. It's so good. It's so pretty. It feels like a you know, next-gen game almost. Yeah, I think it was one of those games that not enough people paid attention to just because it was released at the same time as the movie. Yeah. And people were like, right. oh, it's just a movie tie-in game. And it is sort of like a retelling of, of I think, the first game. Yeah. Um, but it's so good. Like, it, so it really good. is. A, it, it really is an indicator of Insomniac, as we know Insomniac, firing at the level that, you know, now they're going to be the Spider-Man studio. But for a while they were cool gun studio yeah yeah totally yeah yeah and speaking of and it's it's like as we talked about sony having a you know not as great of an image or some things because i know microsoft does a lot of this stuff for free and this is a for free patch and xbox kind of does a lot of it behind the scenes and these are like patches that come out but jeff have you gone back to god of war since that no i think i'm i want to looks good i want to i gotta do that now so good yeah i think i think the best one that i've seen is days gone really days gone days gone i think is the best playstation 5 patch i think i've seen Wow, I mean, I think Ghost of Tsushima is an amazing patch. Yeah, it is. It is. So it is good. good. Yes. Yeah. I think. I think Days Gone is is the best one personally, just because of how much visual information is yeah. is on the screen in in that, and what the um the higher frame rate allows you to do with like the quick moves, because that game was so much about just kiting around this horde, yeah. being able to do kind of cool stuff. It it really changes so many different games just to have that patch. That I hope that more more developers don't overlook the opportunity to do that yeah i'm gonna have to redownload god of war and maybe days gone and and maybe others (laughs) uh yeah super cool super cool all right that's gonna do it for this episode it's been a fun one christian you were right you called it right at the beginning fun one strikes again with the calling it uh but anthony taramina it's always a pleasure to have you on. It's been too long. Thank you it for is being all, here. Yeah, it is always a pleasure to be on. I'm always available. Well, that's but I what's know so that, wonderful. I know that variety is the spice of life. So, <laughs> um, you know, when when I feel that the moment I think to myself, okay, I'm playing Outriders, I think Jeff's going to text me this week. <laughs> and sure enough, there I was. Texting you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's we we are all our own Spicedradamus. <laughs> well, tell the folks where they can keep up with you and the things that you do online. Gamerant.com. I'm editor-in-chief, so if you want to support the things that I do, I would love for you to get your news from that website. You don't have to. Um, we also do fun features. We did some April Fool's jokes. I know uh, some people are not fans of those, but uh, I wrote one. It did pretty well. And people what was your April Fool's joke? Tell me what. Uh, that uh, George R. R. Martin had signed on to write six more Elden Ring games. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. I like that. That's funny. Um, and yeah, the whole pretense was, you know, he's not busy. He turns out these books real fast so he'll right. be able to he's got plenty of time <laughs> um yeah but some people were like what are you talking about he's got to finish these winds of winter books <laughs> um or you can follow me on twitter uh at antormina a-n-t-a-o-r-m-i-n-a i just talk about random stuff right on christian spicer how about you what do you got going on this week 
Uh, I will be sending out the survey. It might be out as you're listening to this to backers of consequences. Thank you for, again to everybody there. Um, and that stuff is moving along well. And those things should, there are, everything's on track, which is exciting. Um, I think uh, an installment of Let's Chat Games, which is my newsletter, uh, probably early next week based on as I'm putting it together right now. But you can find that at tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer. And then you can follow me on Twitter, which is at Spicer, S-P-I-C-E-R. And then a question to our audience. I posted this in the Discord, but I'll get it out here um, for all the listeners as well. Um, DLC shirts, question mark, exclamation point, and Terabang. Um, Jeff and I have been talking about it, and I wanted to gauge listener thoughts uh, and feelings to those. So if that sounds something that is exciting to you, you know, let us know in all the ways you can reach out. DLC feedback at Gmail, Discord, subreddit, stuff like that. Um, and kind of maybe what things you might want. Um, we've talked about some fun stuff, but I wanted to to check the pulse because we all know that uh, storage and shipping is uh, it's an ordeal. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Uh, but JP, oh JP, it's, yes, I'm talking to JP, just JP in the chat. He's in, so that makes me oh, in because well, I've seen right. I've seen the dungeon run stuff, and I'm in. So you know, yeah, he, he knocked it out of the park as he always does. As he always, always does. does. Um, as for me, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I have several other shows, including the aforementioned Dungeon Run, which is back, baby. It's back. We are like a phoenix or baby phoenix, as the case may be. Because there's a baby phoenix in the show. Uh, rising from the ashes. We, we were uh, canceled on caffeine. But now we are bootstrapping ourselves. The cast and I... Want to finish the story of the heroes of Bingle. Uh, it is an epic tale that we're very proud of. I think the story is, it's, it has an awesome end point, and I want to get to that end point. So we're doing it ourselves. We brought the show back to Twitch, to YouTube, and as an audio podcast. Lots of different ways you can check out The Dungeon Run. Twitch.tv slash The Dungeon Run on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Or as a uh, a YouTube uh, at youtube.com slash the dungeon run, or as a podcast, uh, the dungeon run wherever you get podcasts as well. We're on Patreon now, so that's how we're we're making that show. It's it's a delight, and there's really cool perks that you can get as well. But check it out. I urge you to check out the dungeon run. I, I, I'm really super proud of it. Okay. Also, slash filmcast, where I talk about movies and TV shows. You can find that at slashfilmcast.com. And I do a comedy science show where you can learn something and laugh along the way. It's called We Have Concerns. You can find it at wehaveconcerns.com. And the fan-controlled football show, whose name changes every single week because it is controlled by the fans. Talking sports, having a goofy fun time with Josh McCuga and Patrick Dees. Uh, really fun dudes. Uh, and guests, wild guests, all, all crazy professional sports people. Really fun stuff. Check that out Thursdays, 2.30 p.m. Pacific time, twitch.tv slash FCF. All right. Let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is parting gift. Anthony Tarmino, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I do. Um, I have been doing a little bit of my Oscar backlog trying to, I, it's a fun thing. Me and my wife have always done is try to make sure we watch as many of the Oscar nominated movies as we possibly can. Uh, and we just recently watched another round, 
Um, I don't know if either of you have seen it. It stars Mads Mikkelsen. It's a Danish film. And it's uh, a really interesting movie. The The basic conceit is these four teachers or, or guys that work at a school um, find that their life's sort of boring. People think they're boring. They just don't have any zhuzh, so to speak. Uh, and they uh, happen upon this theory that if your blood alcohol level is 0.05%, all day that you be more enjoyable. Uh, and so they sort of test that theory and then it kind of gets into, uh, you know, more um, escalated elements of that and, and kind of deals with our, our fetish, fetishization of, of drinking and, and the cultural aspects of it. It's a really interesting movie and it's nominated for best director and best foreign film. Uh, it's on Hulu. Um, so if you have Hulu, I highly recommend checking it out. It's, it's one of those foreign films that, you know, would never be made for American audiences. It just covers a a subject matter and and the scenes and whatnot are not conventional for what mainstream movies do, but I really liked it. That's another round and it's on Hulu. Christian Spicer. What about you? Uh, Parting gift. I might have done this as we've been doing the show for years, and it is the season. Well, today's Easter or Sunday's we're recording. Carrot cake, man. Carrot cake gets a bad rap. My wife made some homemade carrot cake today. It's so good. And the best part about homemade carrot cake is it doesn't need to be like the five-stack deep carrot cake. Like, don't get me wrong. I like restaurant and dessert carrot cake. But sometimes you're like, oh, and I'll, oh what, we, what should we get? I don't know. Let's get the carrot cake. And then you hear like the Mack truck backing up as apparently <laughs> all they have are like gargant. And you're just like, this is too much cream cheese frosting. But carrot cake's good. And you get to lie to yourself and pretend it's healthy the whole time. You, you know, what's funny is I would, I, I would never order carrot cake if given other options for dessert. And yet I always love a carrot cake. It's so good. Isn't that weird? You, I don't know what You guys that is. ever get those little squares from like 7-Eleven that you get that were like shrink wrapped or whatever? You oh, get I know like what you're talking chunk. about, but no, that sounds terrible. <laughs> oh, they're actually really good. No, really? Both of you are right. It is terrible. And they're deli- like when I was still, I mean, again, another lifetime ago, like, but on the road a decent amount. Yeah, you pull over and you're like, this is a mistake. I'll get four. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a simple way to get carrot cake. It's kind of hard to get. But yes, I love carrot cake. My dad used to get carrot cake because I love carrot cake for my birthdays. And there would literally be one slice taken and it was my slice at my birthday. And then all the other kids were like, what? No. <laughs> I'm like six years old. And people are like, here's so carrot funny. cake. Here's carrot cake. And they're like, no, thank you. Is there chocolate? <laughs> There's kale brownies. No. Uh, uh, carrot cake. Oh, who knew? My parting gift is a YouTube channel that I have gotten obsessed with. Uh, it is, uh, it's called Brick Vault. It's a... Uh, it's a YouTube channel all about Lego. And I must have watched 14 of these back to back last night. Uh, all about Lego mocks. An MOC mock is, uh, stands for my own creation. Uh, and Brick Vault does these wonderful, I think, weekly or monthly reviews of the best mocks online. Mind blowing. Mind blowing. I love watching them, seeing the incredible creations that people come up with big and small even the smallest little teeny mocks can be extraordinary and show you ways to use lego that you would i would never have imagined it just so so cool so that's the brick vault 
did they just do a really huge one? Or maybe I saw you tweet about it, but I saw it going around and, I, and it was like 22,000, you know, just some massive yeah. thing is what I was just like, oh. I love the huge ones. They'll be like, you know, a, the, a battleship or a, you know, a spaceship or some crazy thing that's like a billion D pieces or, like, you know, the entire Battle of Hoth done with a billion D pieces. But dude, their, their mock video is about, you know, a tiny little sculpture of a, a scene or a little creature or something. And you see the way that pieces are used. Like people are, are using um, droid arms, the, uh, the, the, the little um, episode one droids for, that Lego did. Droid arms as, as thatched roof, um, like thousands of them as little like thatched roof, straw roof um, texture. It's incredible the ingenuity people have with Lego. Well, let me know when someone so does cool. a Brickhead's version of the host of Slash Filmcast. Until then, I'm not interested. I well, they am did not. It. They did it. Uh, yeah, they did it. It has happened. It's it looks there. So good. Slash it Filmcast. Like, yeah. It's so good. So neat. Um, all right. Uh, we have a listener-suggested parting gift. This comes to us from Dave Thompson. Dave writes to dlcfeedback at gmail.com and says, uh, Hey, guys, I was just listening to episode 383 and the discussion about cooking in Breath of the Wild. Uh, the Gamers with Jobs also talked about Breath of the Wild cooking recently, Small World. I know from listening that you both enjoy cooking for your families, so I want to pass this along. I don't know if you've heard of Binging with Badish by Andrew Ray, but he has a cooking show on YouTube where he recreates dishes from movies, TV shows, and video games. I highly recommend having a watch, and to tie it into the episode, he does an episode featuring recipes from Breath of the Wild with outdoor wood fire wok mushroom risotto and baked apples and also back in his kitchen for monster cake. Uh, he says something about his style and attitude breaks down the intimidation often involved with new recipes, especially baking. Uh, there's lots of really cool recipes from all kinds of shows. Uh, egg sandwich from Birds of Prey, uh, butter brie baguettes from Twin Peaks, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, so yeah, I love... I love the binging with Babish uh, channel as well, uh, but that is he just really did cool. A, he just did a Monster Hunter uh, episode this oh, really? past week, oh, fun. and he made like the chef's special. You know, when you order your food, he he made one of those, and it was it was great. I love him as well. He is incredible. So cool. Thank you, Dave, for sending that in. If you want to have your parting gift right on the show, send it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We love getting them. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Anthony Taramina and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks hanging out with us live, watching the video version in real time. We appreciate you as well. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those cool bumpers. And thank you to each and every one of you for tuning in. We appreciate it. And we'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.